After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Josh, as we get down to the final series of this NHL season, things are pretty quiet. There's not really a lot of of game stuff to talk about. So I'm I'm a little puzzled here. It's just there were no fines levied last week. There were no suspensions levied last week. But you know what? It's my understanding that the refs still suck. Well, they 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 don't. I mean, they, they never have. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> There's always moments the fans might not be happy all the time, but they they don't suck. You know what? I, I think I think this has been one of the least suck playoffs for the officials. I mean, I, I know some fans may disagree, and there were certainly some controversial calls, but there's a lot less sucking. Less suckly or something <laughs> to that effect. Is that uh, maybe how we put less, 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 less suckage? Yeah. And you know what? They're still working. Uh, player safety might have taken an, an early summer break here, although they really haven't had anything to weigh in on. But the refs are still working hard and, and they're doing a good job. I, I will say so far, um, a, a less sucking Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following our social channels. You'll find Josh, of course, at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, final selections, game one review, and it wasn't a kick. Despite the protests and the frustration, it wasn't a kick. So, as we mentioned, the Stanley Cup final is underway. We congratulate Gord Dwyer, Kelly Sutherland, Wes McCauley, Chris Rooney, Jean Hébert, Steve Barton, Ryan Daisy, Brad Kovacic, Kyle Murchison, and Johnny Murray. Those were the referees and linesmen named for the Stanley Cup final. They're the creme de la creme, the best of the best, and they're the ones that are making the extra coin in this final round. Yeah, they are. Some extra cash coming in. I think uh, 27000 per referee, a little bit less for the linesman, but still near that near that $20,000 mark just for moving on to the Stanley Cup Finals. And it's it's round-based, not game-based. So no matter how many games they work, whether it's a sweep, whether it goes seven, whether we look at triple overtime, they've, they've got a nice <laughs> paycheck either way. And thanks for calling them out. I, nice to see Macaulay and Sutherland working their ninth Cup Finals. So that's, that's quite a few cups that have been handed out under their watch. But Jean Hébert, Ryan Daisy, first trip to the Stanley Cup final. Congratulations to them. Hopefully the first of many. I did not notice in game number one, but do they wear special crests, emblems on their sweaters like the players do? They do. They have the cup final patches. So we've we've seen the, the old ones in prior years. You know, I'm going to have to check, Todd. They typically do wear the Stanley Cup final patches on the stripes for the Stanley Cup final, not leading up to, but the, the final officials have always worn that Stanley Cup final patch. I need to double check and make sure that we actually have those on there because I, I expect that they do. And th- that's what I mean. I, was, I didn't I didn't notice them. I saw them on the players' sweaters, but I did not notice them on uh, any of the stripes. Before we dive too deep into game one of the Stanley Cup final, there is one sort of loose end that we should tie up from the Eastern Conference final. It turned out to be the game-winning goal by Steven Stamkos. And 
After seeing the first replay of this, it was really a quick happening play. It was bang, bang. I don't think anyone after the first replay thought that this goal should be disallowed. Well, maybe except Gerard Gallant, Igor Shesterkin, I think, as you said uh, before we started, that maybe they would have a bit of a fuss. But I, I think it was pretty clear to say that the puck was not kicked in. It went in off the player's leg, which means it was a good goal. It was. It was a shot that, unfortunately for Shesterkin, he couldn't hang on to. It bobbled out of his glove, hit Stamkos in the leg, and went in. So it's a goal. It's one of those plays where if the puck deflects in off the player... The goal stands. It's awarded to Stamkos. Obviously, he's the one who shot it. He's also the one who had it deflect in. I get where Gallant's coming from. I get where Shesterkin's coming from. Your your immediate reaction. I mean, this is an elimination game. You just scored to tie it up. Your back's against the wall. It's the old Mike Smith approach with the Oilers, too. You, you, you look for somebody to blame or something to complain about. It's human nature. I get it. But yeah, that that look after a second look at it, that goal was clearly not an intentional kick. I, it it bounced in. And, and like you said, I think a, another replay of that would have convinced Shesterkin and Gallant of it. But I mean, hey, what, what are you going to do? You're going to try everything you can. Throw it at the wall, see what sticks. And there's only so much that they can do. I mean, Shesterkin was implying and gesturing to the officials that it was kicked in. Gallant can just stay there and argue it. He, he can't challenge it. It's worth noting that that's not a play that's eligible for a coach's challenge. You can you can challenge the offside. You can challenge goaltender interference. You can challenge a missed stoppage. But if the puck is kicked in, that's up to the NHL situation room to flag that one for them to initiate that review on their own and determine whether or not it's kicked in. And if it makes Gallant feel better, they did. They took a second look. They confirmed it. And and like we all saw, it it wasn't kicked in. But tough way to go. Not that you want to get beaten by a clean wrist or up high, but always hard when it goes in off a bad bounce or a funny play like that. Sure, that's definitely going to make it a little bit more frustrating. However, good goal. Lightning move on to the Stanley Cup final against the Colorado Avalanche. Game one is done. A terrific game, as a matter of fact, for from the hockey perspective. It was it was back and forth, plenty of action. I'm happy that there was lots of goal scoring and a dramatic conclusion in the overtime. Do you have kind of an overview thought on how game one went from an officiating refereeing perspective. I thought it was pretty, you know, sort of right down the middle. I didn't find any real surprises or or things that stuck out to me. I thought it was a very right down the center line game. I think you're right, Todd. And I think it was, and it was called that way. It, it wasn't managed that way. I know people love game management, but I think it was called properly. It was called evenly and fairly. And that's what we're looking for in these games. And I guess a testament to the Stanley Cup final officials. These are the best officials in the NHL. That's who they're selecting to move on. And I think they called a good game. It was Ref Score Dwyer, Kelly Sutherland, both good communicators out there. Sutherland, if, you've, if you're hearing the mics, if you're hearing any of the action on the ice, you are hearing him. I, I swear, the guy talks the whole game and he lets the <laughs> players know what's going on. There's keeping guys out of the blue paint. He's telling them to watch the sticks. If you're hearing chatter, it's most likely coming from him. And from the players I've talked to and some of the other officials, you're setting that standard. You're letting guys know where the line is before you call a penalty. And then when you're calling it, it's consistent for both sides. And and Sutherland's a master at that. Dwyer's great at it as well. So I think they set that standard, and then I think they enforced it. We saw three, well, four penalties for each team, one of each side getting an automatic, one for puck over glass, one for too many men on the ice, but three actual infractions per side. And I think that was correct. I don't think they were letting things go the things that may have been missed or let go, it was consistent. They were doing it 
under the guise of making sure neither team was getting an advantage or there wasn't an unsafe situation or an injury on a play. It, it's those kinds of things that you're looking at to call a balanced game. And again, they weren't trying to get three and three. I think they were calling it right down the middle. It happened to work out that way. Both teams tightened up a little bit because you know the importance of a penalty. You know the importance of putting the other team on the power play here, especially in such a tight game. So I think they were on their best behavior. I think the officiating was on their best behavior as well. I think they called a great, great game one. I'm going to say that I think people like to criticize game management as opposed to talk about game management. Other than that, I think you were, you were very much right <laughs> on in your assessment there. Yeah, so. I, think, I think we just, it, it's not a bad word and people use it. People bring up the Tim Peel thing of like, oh, it's game management. I need to call a penalty on this team because I just called one on that team. And that's, when we talk about game management, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about managing it from an overall standpoint. You know, if things are getting rough, you start taking two guys or you start letting the benches know that anything after the whistle, I'm taking one guy and you're going to be shorthanded. It's it's managing the game through the penalties from a fair, balanced way to keep control of the game and to keep it fair and safe for everyone. Not, hey, this team has three penalties. The next penalty is going to be against the other team. That's that's not the game management that uh, that we're talking about when we use the term game management. So I know that sometimes it's a bit pejorative. It's a bad word. It's it's something that is not necessarily the way that the officials are approaching how to manage the game with penalties. They're looking at it from the big picture of situationally and infraction wise, what's being called and how am I keeping control of the game on the ice? I'm glad you gave us that explanation. I think that was very clear. And I also think it's a first for the word pejorative on the <laughs> Scouting the Rest podcast. We, we always debut vocabulary words. <laughs> That's true. I like that. I like that. So there are a couple of specifics that I do want to look at and talk about from game one. And I guess maybe the one that got the most notoriety was the tripping call that put the Lightning in a five on three situation in the first period. And well, look at that. A goal was scored. Uh, you don't want to take a penalty to put yourself down two men and sometimes you're in the wrong spot and maybe you didn't even do the wrong thing and it was called. Kale McCarr goes down, you know, looking at the replay, he lost his edge. He tripped over the blue line. It, it didn't necessarily come down to the stick work of Anthony Sorelli, but I can absolutely understand why the call was made. He takes a one-handed whack. McCarr goes down right after we don't see the positioning of the official, but based on looking at the replays, it, it looks like the call came from just around center ice. He'd have a clear view of the stick. He'd have a clear view of Makar going down. So totally understand the reason for the call. And I know it wasn't a trip, but I think it was an understandably correct call. You've got Sorelli taking a swing here, and you're clearly looking at what will be a change of possession, potentially a breakaway for Sorelli. So sometimes we see those infractions that don't result in a change of possession or, you know, Makar goes down, but maybe the, the puck goes to McKinnon, they maintain possession and control, and maybe the referee's arm doesn't go up. But when you have those situations where this is resulting in, well, not an injury on this play, but definitely a change of possession and potentially a scoring chance going back the other way, that's where you look at the situation and go, okay, this, this was a change of possession. This was a penalty. So totally get where they're coming from. It's something that you're you're making that call in real time and you're you're looking at the situation, you're seeing where it ends up. And and I think this is one that you might not be happy about it as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I, I think you can understand. I think you mentioned seeing it in real time is the is the key here. And that's how the referees operate, of course. I think if you got people watching at home to answer honestly and say, Did you think it was a penalty the first time you saw it? 
the vast majority would be saying, yeah, you're right. I called it a penalty initially. And and you can't take it back at that point. You're right. I thought it was a penalty. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> you see him and everybody's eyes on him. He's the puck carrier. So this isn't even happening behind the play. We're all watching it. And, and I would say most people probably thought it would be a penalty. It, it was very similar when you're looking at it live to a common tripping play that we see every game that we see called every game. The puck carrier has the puck, a sticks in his feet or on his legs. He goes down. So uh, what else can you do? You can't <laughs> you yeah. can't go back and review this one, Todd. Oh, don't open that can of worms. If you are you going to say that every stoppage in play now and in terms of a penalty, you because there are going to be people suggest, well, they should be able to review that and rescind the penalty. So this is where those against video review latch onto the argument of, well, every game is going to take four hours to complete. Well, it will if you're going to stop and review every call, every stoppage, and every incident. So I'm, I'm in favor of more and better use of video review. I think I come up short in terms of this, though. I agree, and I think the officiating, we know it, it's human. And we need to expect that there are going to be imperfect calls or imperfect decisions made. I and mean, we've, we've already accepted that players aren't perfect. They miss passes. They miss shots. Goaltenders miss saves. It happens. These are, are humans that are doing this in real time as part of the game. And I think we just need to accept that there will be calls like this that might go the other way. And it, and it balances out over time. And it's it's nothing that's ever intentional. But you're you're going to have those kinds of plays. I don't think you need to open the can of worms. What, what are you going to do? Challenge? Are you going to have a coach's challenge for a penalty call to say, you know what? Wait a second. I don't I don't think he tripped him. I'd like to challenge that play and uh, and nullify the penalty because that would be a nightmare. And we've we've seen coaches challenges go down as the, the penalties get higher and as the stakes are higher. So the NHL, I think, has managed the coaches challenge process. And I, I don't think they have any interest in expanding that to penalties. And I don't blame them because it. it it really would be a mess. Besides, if you're wrong, now you've got yeah. you've got a judgment call. And, and this one's pretty clear cut. But how many of them would come down to a judgment call of, well, I thought the stick was here. No, I thought it was there. He fell on his own. He wasn't tripped. Do you really want to go down two men because you challenged a penalty there? So I, I feel like it would be a hard one to do, but I don't even want to open that door. We could make the same arguments and have the similar discussion for another call that went undetected in this game as well. It was against Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and there was a high stick that came up and kind of bonked him on the nose. Uh, other than squinting for a couple of seconds at the impact, I don't think it really affected Victor Hedman, but it, it was technically a missed call and would have been a penalty. It was, and it's one of those situations where the severity factors in as well. I mean, you could always look to on plays like that where there's a high stick or anything where there's a potential injury or even the, the possibility of a major or match that the linesman, if they've spotted it, can report it to the referee. And at the stoppage, they can assess that penalty. This obviously wasn't severe enough to cause an injury. It was, as you said, Todd, it was a missed call. It was an unfortunate one. Again, these are going to happen. It, there are mm -hmm. going to be times when you, you miss a high stick. And I think they do a pretty good job of coming together as an officiating quartet to huddle on the ice for those more egregious ones. You know, if if on this play and, and I hate to do it based on an injury, but if it was a more severe high stick and you see Hedman injured on the play and, and linesman Steve Barton spots it and, and wants to go back to the officials and say, hey, here's what we saw on the play. It looked like this guy caught him with a high stick. This should have been a double minor. 
they have the option to go and assess it. They can't do it via video review. They have to do it by what the guys saw on the ice. And either the severity isn't enough in a case like this, or it was simply missed. You know, sticks are up all the time. If it's not clear that contact was made, I, it's kind of hard to call that penalty if you're watching the play and, and maybe this is happening behind the play or off to the side. I hate to do this because I don't I don't like the idea of players selling calls, but I will mention too, Hedman did a good job of battling through it. Mm-hmm. We didn't see the head go back. He didn't really sell the call. And and kudos to him for doing it because I I don't want it to turn into guys flopping on like we see in soccer or even in basketball. But I think sometimes naturally that draws attention to what happened on the play. You see the guy flailing. You see the stick up. It was a high stick, and and maybe that call is more likely to be made. And again, I I don't want to encourage folks to do it. I don't like when you see a guy's head snap back more than what was resulting from the stick contact but i think that's why Connor mcdavid has often not gotten the, the the share of penalties drawn against him because i think he battles through it he does such a good job of maintaining possession of the puck or control of the puck and and not flopping on the ice not going down you know he can battle through it which sometimes i, I think makes it less likely that he's going to earn that call and i think hedman he went through it here i mean you, you saw him check his nose afterwards the reaction might have helped minimize the feeling that it was a penalty on the call. But again, don't start selling calls. Sometimes you're just going to miss them. It, <laughs> it is going to happen. It's part of the game. Let's not review this missed high stick. No, because that's why we have calls for embellishment. That's why players get fined for embellishment, because they take it 20 or 30 steps beyond the line. And we certainly don't want to get into more than that. But I think you make a very good point about players who are supremely talented and gifted and in spite of infractions committed against them, are able to fight through and battle through and and complete a play, maybe not as 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 much as they would like to. But that's that's the other part of it. And that's the difficult job that these officials have in real time. So other than a couple of things, I think game one went very smoothly. And in fact, in the last couple of days, I've heard very little about the officiating and uh, how calls were made. And and I guess this was actually probably the perfect game as far as the NHL is concerned. Great action on the ice. We had a dramatic conclusion and we have nobody talking about officiating. I know it's 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 crazy. It's, <laughs> it's good. It's it's nice to see. I mean, for game two, I'm expecting we're going to see two of Wes McCauley, Chris Rooney and Jean Hebert. I hope they can keep this going. We'll have that rotation throughout the cup final and they will be changing partners. It's not like the old days when we used to have two pairings and one group would work game one, three, five, and seven. The other group would work two, four, six. They've got five referees and five linesmen now for the cup final. So instead of having those set pairings, they're going to work with different dance partners. It's going to rotate around. So I would expect that the next time you see Dwyer or Sutherland, they'll be skating with somebody else. And that's the importance. That's what the league's trying with these rotations of consistency and having these games called the same way and working with the series supervisor who's meeting with these officials before and after every game to talk through what did we see last time out? What are we expecting coming in here? They want it to be consistent. And I I think Dwyer and Sutherland set the bar high in game one. And I hope that continues because as much as we want exciting hockey, I would love even though it's depriving us of things to talk about on the podcast when it comes to the controversy, 
it's not there's nothing better than seeing a well-played close hard battle stanley cup final so more of the same from game one i'd love to see from the officials for the rest of the series so you're saying that it's going to be like the beer league rotation for <laughs> for players is where you sometimes have eight forwards or three defensemen and it gets all jumbled up sometimes. Well, I, I we're going to keep it to two refs and two linesmen out there. But you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you never know what the pairings are going to be. So it, it, it should be interesting. And, it, and it'll be nice to to see that carry through and, and to try to maintain that standard. I, I will say there's there's no way we make it through the whole series without some sort of controversy, Todd. It's it's bound to happen or potentially even uh, player safety having to step up. But uh, we can we can hope for a nice, clean series. Or dare I say, manufactured controversy, trademark pending, with um, one of the coaches perhaps suggesting that the other team's players are taking liberties and the officials should take notice. We haven't heard any of that yet, but is that inevitable at some point? We have two smart coaches out there, and I think these guys know how to use the tools that they've got. They, They both had great seasons and great playoffs from a coach's challenge standpoint. And I think they both have shown an ability to use the officials or at least their remarks on officiating to their benefit. This was a close game. We were even in power plays. We were even in penalty minutes. It went to overtime. I mean, by by all measures, this was about as close of a game as you could get. There's no benefit for them throwing officials under the bus. There's no need for them to rally their team under everybody's against us. And even the officials are against us. And we need to battle past this officiating They don't need to do that yet, but both coaches have shown in the past that that they are willing to do that. So I think as their team needs it, as they they feel that maybe they got the short end of the stick and, and maybe it comes with being down two games in a series or something like that. I think this is in the arsenal of uh, of Benar and Cooper, and I think they'll bring it out when they need to. So, yeah, as as a motivational tool for their players. And, and believe me, the officials know this as well. They know that sometimes the comments about officiating are directed towards the officials, but more commonly, it's towards the players. It's to get the players to kind of give them, I don't want to say an excuse, but to, to rally around something or to give them something else other than saying, hey, you know, it's on you guys. No, the refs were out to get us. They, they were against us this game. We can, <laughs> we can rally the troops with that kind of call. And I would not be the least bit surprised for either team to do this, nor would I be surprised when the officials see it and go, yep, we knew that would happen sooner or later. So the good news for our next edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast, officiating controversy is inevitable. Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice.